Hi, this is Isabella, and you are listening to Forgotten Souls. Hey guys, so today I'll be doing something a little bit different. We will be discussing a largely marginalized population that is extremely underrepresented in true crime. So I think that when people say or think of the term people of color, we tend to think about individuals who are black or Latino or Hispanic. And I think we tend to forget, especially in our literature with true crime, the indigenous and Native American populations. So um, obviously I'm gonna throw some statistics at you. Did you know that Native Americans and Alaska Native populations have the highest rates of suicide in our country? They also have the highest rates of alcoholism and drug use, as well as heart disease and diabetes. So there are a couple of reasons as to why this exists, and largely these communities experience systematic poverty and the national income is more than $10,000 lower than the average normal American's income. Reservations tend to lack funding for things like health services, education, housing, and the conditions are quoted as being comparable to third world countries. That's how bad it is on probably all of the reservations that we've given this population of people. The country's 310 Indian reservations have violent crime rates that are more than two and a half times higher than the national average. According to data compiled by the Justice Department, American Indian women are 10 times as likely to be murdered than other Americans. This also includes black women. According to the National Violence Against Women survey, 34% of American Indian and Native Alaskan Native women have suffered attempted or completed rape within their lifetimes. This is greater than 18% of white women, 19% of African-American women, and 7% of the Asian and Pacific Islander population who completed the survey. In South Dakota, only 10% of the population is Native American, but Native American make up 40% of all sexual assault cases in the state. Similar, similarly, sim- I can't say that word, similar, sim- Similarity. Similarly, I don't know. Um, Alaska Natives make up 15% of the population, but represent 61% of victims of reported sexual assault cases. So, obviously, this is insanely underreported, and I think discussing cases about this population is extremely important, especially when we will get into the case, you will see how the funding for their criminal justice system, as well as their police force, is extremely, extremely underfunded. So um, I also think that it's it's pretty rare to hear about crimes against Indigenous individuals. Like, do you know any famous crimes about an indigenous or Alaskan native person going missing, or if that's like famous, can you name one off the top of your head, honey? Uh, I know none, but I'm sure. Well, that's yeah, what this I guess you're. <laughs> I mean, you're also not like a huge true crime buff, but I am, and obviously it tends to be a lot of like white women. But 
especially this population super just not talked about so let's just get to the case um i originally was going to do two women in this one podcast but i actually was able to find a lot more information so i will be discussing one woman today it is the disappearance of ashley loring having heavy runner so there was a quote that i found that i would like to preface this case by in native american communities across the country there is a common saying when an indigenous woman goes missing she goes missing twice first her body vanishes and then her story so i found the back this background information on ashley on abcnews.com this was the only news outlet that i found that reported on her case um so ashley she grew up on the extremely remote Blackfeet Nation in Northwest Montana. Uh, Her tribe had a long and brutal history with the US government as, I mean, basically every other tribe. And they went on to survive massive land loss, disease, forced starvation, as well as massacres, which killed a large portion of their people. Growing up, Ashley and her sister spent several months in foster care before going to live with their grandparents. I could not find much information about that part of Ashley's life. Her grandmother is quoted as saying, she's a good girl, we didn't have any trouble with her, and I could count on her to get a little more work out of her than the other two. Her grandparents taught her sister how to ride, chop wood for their wood stove, and muck muck stalls, which I'm not sure what that is, but... Um, she and her siblings spent the summer swimming in the lake well past sundown, and Ashley was known to have a contagious smile. She was a star athlete in high school, and once she graduated, she attended Blackfeet Community College, where she studied the environment, which I honestly didn't even know that Native American populations had their own, like, I knew they had their own, like, primary schooling, but I, I'm assuming they have their community colleges and then they go off to normal colleges i'm not really sure i honestly didn't know that i didn't know that either so they have their own colleges just for native americans i guess it's community colleges that are in these reservations reservations. yeah so i'm assuming they're probably underfunded but so she 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 had a plan though so she studied the environment and she wanted to eventually transfer to the university university of montana so she did want to attend a regular college eventually and she wanted to use that knowledge she she learned to take care of her homelands and she was very proud of her culture she was outgoing smart incredibly incredibly beautiful if you look pictures of her i will post some on the instagram and on twitter and it seemed like she was an all-around amazing young woman who had a ton of promise so unfortunately we have to get to the disappearance of ashley loring She was last seen on June 5th, 2017, so this is actually a fairly recent case, and I have never heard anything about it. So, she was only 20 years old at the time of her disappearance, and the first person noticed that she was missing was her sister Kimberly. So, Kimberly had just returned home from a trip, and she was in Morocco to see her fiancé. She had planned to help Ashley move into an apartment in nearby Missoula to start her new life. However, Ashley never contacted her sister once she returned, once her sister returned back to their reservation, and she didn't return any of the calls or messages, and her phone went unanswered. So, you would think that that's concerning. I mean, if I don't answer my phone in literally, like, five minutes, 
between you and my mom, like, I remember this one time I fell asleep at college, and I had probably 50 missed messages, and my mom was probably about to call the police, but, you know, not everyone, everyone's the same, so initially her family wasn't that concerned, they thought she lost her phone, or was visiting a family friend, this has happened before, where they, they couldn't get a hold of her, so they weren't worried, she's an adult, she isn't known for being great at communicating with her family, and they kind of put it on the back burner she'll show up eventually during this time um ashley's father becomes unexpectedly hospitalized for liver failure and they still could not get a hold of her this is when they begin to get worried because she would have been in contact and she would have wanted to go visit her father she definitely would have responded at this point um, so her sister Kimberly is like, I'm, I'm going to look for her. I'm taking this in my own hands. I'm sure someone has seen her. She contacts a bunch of Ashley's friends on social media, and she asks them if they have been in contact with her, if they've seen her, spoken to her. And to her horror, not a single friend had heard from her since June 5th. This is like weeks I think over a week later. So no one has heard from her since June 5th. Um, Kimberly also gets some information that on the night of June 5th, which was, as we know, the last night that she had any known contact with anybody, she messaged numerous friends on Facebook asking for a ride into town from her family's ranch. Kimberly... God, this area. Kimberly also reported receiving a text from Ashley that night asking for money, but she was in Morocco, so she couldn't. And Kimberly ensured her sister was okay, and Ashley was like, yeah, I'm fine. Um, And then there is another clue that she finds on Facebook, and on Ashley's page, there's a short video from that night. It is of Ashley sitting on a couch surrounded by people drinking and chatting, so it looks like she went to a party and disappeared into literally thin air. Yeah, so... Her sister ends up hitting a dead end with her internet sleuthing, and she decides to contact authorities. This is when the investigation begins. She contacts Blackfeet Law Enforcement and Tribal Law Enforcement and tells them that her sister has not been or heard or seen since June 5th, and in return, they launch a three-day search. They look for her for three days, and then they stop their efforts. They didn't find any evidence of where Ashley was. They didn't find any clues or spoke to anybody. They just looked around the reservation, which is also huge, which we will get um, into later. But that was it. They're like, we can't find her. She's an adult. If she wants to be missing, she can be missing. Which honestly, that drives me crazy because that's how a lot of police enforcement are like, oh, well, like if they're over the age of 18, like they have a right to go missing. But it's like, who just goes missing? I feel like that's super uncommon. Yeah. I don't know. It's just... Anyway, so... They're immediately rated off as an adult who doesn't want to be found. And see no sign of foul play. So they're like, yeah, no, we're done. So it took two months for the Bureau of Indian Affairs to get involved in the case. Which I'm assuming that's kind of like their FBI and um they are known for being 
chronically underfunded and the most chronically underfunded branch of government. And at this time at the Blackfeet Reservation, they had only 17 officers patrolling the 1.5 million acre area. That area that is That's their reservation huge. is bigger than the state of Delaware. So 17 officers for a large, large, massive land. So obviously super underfunded. And uh, I did a little more information about how their um, police system works. So you have three different governments who are responsible for protecting the citizens in Native American country. The federal government, state governments, and tribal governments. Anytime you get three governments together and try to do anything, it becomes challenging. So obviously they don't work together very well. And it seems as though um, outside of their sort of government for, you know, the, um, the BIA, they, it's hard for them to even get in contact with them. So another thing, another issue with tribal law is that a Supreme Court ruling um, said that most tribes can only charge their own members with a crime, which means they can't arrest anyone who commits a crime on their own land if they live outside of the reservation, which also poses a ton of issues, but that's for a different day. And um, yeah, so tribes are barred from charging everyone. Oh, they're also, they can't even charge their own members with major crimes such as rape or murder that can only be handled by federal agencies like the FBI. So they really don't even have that much jurisdiction. So if something happens on a reservation, it's like someone else needs to get involved. Not even a big deal. I mean, there's a lot of crimes that don't get justice because of this. So the family decides we're going to take this in our own hands. And they begin looking for clues that could give them answers to where Ashley is. In just a few weeks, um, they, her and her, sis- her sister and family discover a potential clue. Located near the end of the reservation, they find a pair of red stained boots and tattered sweater. The family gives these items to local law enforcement and never hear about it again. So they believe that's what she was wearing the night that she went missing because of the video on her Facebook page. I'm sure they couldn't see what shoes she was wearing, but I mean, if you find blood-stained boots, you should probably get that checked out. But again, nothing comes from it. Um, so this was where they found these pieces of clothing. It was close to the home of a man named Sam McDonald, who was one of the last people who have seen Ashley, and that is also where the party took place that Ashley was attending on social media. And Ashley had spent a lot of time at his house before her disappearance. And they, she spent like around six days partying with him at this point of time. So this is where some suspects come in. Sam McDonald is a guy in his mid fifties. So more than twice Ashley's age, who Ashley becomes friends with after a breakup and a death in her family. So she's going through some shit. 
Somehow she becomes friends with a shady dude, and Sam's crowd is obviously older and into drugs, as a lot of Native American population is, unfortunately. So she starts experiencing, experimenting with drugs and, you know, partying with him for days on end. And so law enforcement eventually questioned McDonald about Ashley's disappearance. And he claims police broke the lock on his door and searched his property maybe six times. He also claimed that the last time he saw Ashley was on the morning of June 11th, and she asked him to take her to a roadside pull-off so that someone named V-Dog could pick her up. Let me just say how much I hate... I have to say V-Dog a lot in this episode, sorry, in advance, because I... Stupidest name ever. Anyway... He said, at that time, I leaned my chair back and we had been up for days and just like that, I went to sleep. And when I woke up, she was gone. So he said he looked for Ashley, but couldn't find her. And he was like, okay, well, she went and got a ride with V-Dog, whoever V-Dog is. So who is V-Dog? McDonald eventually tells police that he, it's a nickname for a guy named Paul Valenzuela also a man in his 50s and this guy has a criminal background which includes burglary and weapons convictions and he splits his time between seattle area and the blackfeet reservation um ashley said that she was seeing v-dog romantically before she went missing but he was also still married during this time and the relationship was tumultuous and the woman that he was married to was called Tashina Running Crane, a.k.a. T. So she also has a really stupid nickname. Um, also, right before Ashley went missing, about a month before, uh, V-Dog filed for, dis- for divorce from T. And so this is beginning to look like Ashley got caught up in some sort of deadly love triangle. And they begin investigating this this sort of change in direction of this case. In the fall of 2017, a 14-minute YouTube video was posted by a, a username named T. Eastwood under the title Setup. And in this video, it's T claiming that V-Dog is trying to set her up as the person who knows where Ashley is. And according to her... V-Dog has Ashley and everyone in town knows it, but that was eventually taken down. So that leads to nowhere, and eventually... Why can't they just go to V-Dog's house and look for it? Here's some issues. I don't know where this dude lives. I don't think he actually has a house. So T agrees to meet Nightline which I think that's some sort of, like, show. I don't know. And um, at this time, V-Dog is incarcerated. So months after she goes missing, he's incarcerated for a different charge of, like, illegal firearms or something. And she says on in this interview that she, she kind of re- recants what she said before. She's like, I was blaming Paul, which is V-Dog, and she was upset with him because everyone was telling her that it was him that took her. And she said she finally sat down with him and found out the truth and apologized for thinking that he had anything to do with it. So we're back to square one. So I, I guess 
So she's basically like, no, like it wasn't him. And then she also claims that she didn't know about her husband's relationship with Ashley. Um, And she also said that they were in Seattle at the time of her disappearance. So it seems like he might have an alibi. But just two days before McDonald claims that Ashley Loring got picked up by V-Dog, he reported to a corrections officer that on June 9th, he intended to return to Blackfeet Nation. So I don't think they actually knew where he was during the time of Ashley's disappearance. And we also don't have a set date on when she disappeared. So we don't know. Is this woman randomly covering for her? They turn against each other and then they, they reconcile. So kind of both unreliable witnesses seems like a pretty good lead to go through though so it took until february of 2018 for the fbi to take a lead on ashley's case ultimately no new information or evidence is discovered after they take the case and it goes cold however ashley's family refuses to give up and in june of 2018 they kept permission to look in the trailer Ashley, as well as TMB Dog, spent in during the summer she was missing. So I'm assuming he had some sort of trailer that he would come to when he was in Blackfeet. And the, the family's like, we're going to that trailer. Like, we know something happened in there. We know they're involved. Which, it's kind of really fucked up how the family has to take it into their own hands after... This is a year... Um, almost, like, a year later, there's no new information. They didn't test the clothes that they gave them. And they have to go search this place themselves, even though apparently it was searched. But so they they actually discover something in this trailer. They find a maroon stain beneath the sh- a shag carpet, and they use gloves and plastic bag to get the piece, and they give it to the police. But they're like, I don't know if it's ever going to get tested because the sweater never got tested, and it's been a whole year. So no new information about if that was blood or ashley's blood on that rug and the case goes cold again so in december of 2018 the case is maybe solved the family gets a devastating call and the fbi says they found remains on blackfeet on the blackfeet reservation however this lead determined to be false thankfully well not thankfully but i don't know which is worse her being missing or knowing she's dead but the remains are not ashley and the family's relieved but also frustrated and they just want to find their family member and if she's dead put her to rest so at this point now now that this has been two years since the last time we heard anything about ashley's case there has never been an arrest or charge in relation to her disappearance and this seems to be a terrifying trend in this podcast but um ashley's disappearance shattered her family completely her absence is probably the most painful for her little sister who is quoted as saying i stay up at night i wake up at three every morning i sit there and i think about her well i do fall asleep i'll wake up and then wait for her to come through the door but she never does her other sister kimberly also has quit her job moved back home and continues to search for her sister she's conducted more than 120 searches with little help from authorities 
And in, I believe, last year, Kimberly testified in front of the Congress at the request of Senator John Tester to further explain the epidemic surrounding missing and murdered Indigenous women. She continues to search for her sister today, and this case is still considered opened and unsolved. So that is the end of the unfortunate disappearance of Ashley Lauren Loring. And um, it's still open, so I will also provide numbers you can call if you have any information um, about this disappearance. And that is all I have for you today. So next episode, I will cover another Indigenous woman's case. There are probably so many um, that you've never heard of and I've never heard of. So I will definitely continue to add them in my dialogue. And I hope it is something you also take into account when you are thinking of people of color and the marginalized populations in this country and the issues surrounding them, not only in true crime and in our judicial system, but, you know, with the systematic poverty and systematic racism that exists in this country. So thanks for listening. Bye.